All right, well, welcome back to another episode of From the Field. I'm Will Haverkamp. And I'm Joe Jurisic. And today we're going to introduce you to a powerhouse individual that's been making a difference in our industry for years. Uh, she's a seasoned professional with a broad range of experience in SaaS, which is uh, software as a service. Um, in 2020, Beth was acknowledged as one of the top 50 women leaders in SaaS, according to the software report. Um, and then during her career, Beth has led multiple sales teams and most recently spearheaded integrated and strategic partnerships for Real Green Software. So she's a widely regarded green industry advocate and expert. Uh, she co-authors the Turf Care Index and also has a podcast of her own called Ahead of the Curb. Um, and her current role is Vice President of Turf and Ornamental Sales with Advanced Turf Solutions. So we'll uh, we'll get into a lot of that today with her, but um, first, we wanted to welcome Beth Berry to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. I don't know if you know this, but in 2020, when, uh, well, actually, Will, you were the last person I saw. We were at the Workforce Development Summit yeah, in March 2020. I, I met your family, and it was amazing. You're a much smaller family at the time, but um, I I don't like to have my photo taken. I don't like video. And in fact, go ahead and Google images of me. You'll find like five. My kids are like, what are we going to show at your funeral? I don't know. Um, but I it was either jump on Facebook Live every day and start talking to people like you yeah. uh, or just wilt away and not talk to anyone. So now I enjoy being invited to uh, production such as yours. And I was able to go back and review some of the last couple you did. And you guys are fantastic. This little back and forth. It's uh, the way you get along remotely like this, what the types of questions you ask. It's very informative. And I'm honored to be here today. Awesome. Oh, thank you for we, the kind words. Yeah, that is. I'm like, oh, I'm a little flattered turning red over here. Uh, <laughs> I will. Hey, we got another that? candidate for beef jerky. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but okay. Uh, we we had a guy, uh, Nicholas Stadden uh, from Verde Growers. He came on, and somehow we fell fell across the or fell onto the topic of beef jerky. Um, and uh, he, anyways, long story. We could talk about that later. But um, okay. what we want to do is is kind of highlight, you know, from the field. One of the things we like to talk about is we like to. Um, one of the things we like to highlight are people that are making waves in the industry and making changes and really doing great things for our industry. So we kind of wanted to get to know you today, um, a little bit about what you do and, you know, from a day to day, but uh, we'll get into a bunch of different, um, different subjects, if you will. But first, if you could tell us a bit, you know, about your personal history in the green industry, um, a little bit about your role and responsibilities with ATS, that'd be awesome. Wonderful. I was uh, going to college to be a teacher because I really wanted my summers off, which, you know, you'll be paying for college tuition one day, Will. Yeah. And the fact that they I'm want their summers of it, off, yeah, you should be afraid. But the fact yeah. when they say, I just want to have my summers off, that's not a primary driver for a career. But that was my primary driver. And in the old days, you didn't get to student teach until your senior year. And it turns out I hate kids. So this was a really bad, um, really bad, not true. I have three of my own, but I was also working at the old Chemlon part-time and I couldn't believe how much fun the lawn care industry was. Like we were changing the world. And when I was at Chemlon, True Green wasn't around, nobody was around. We were the only game in town and we were creating an industry. And I don't even think at the time I necessarily knew that. 
but it was the most fun I'd ever had. And every Friday they were paying me for it. And I never taught a day of school. My parents were pretty salty over it, but that's how I got my start. And I started in customer service. I was an office manager and then I worked for Kemlon Corporate. Then when they sold to True Green, we started a little company called Benchmark Emerald Green featuring Scott's products. We were acquired by Scott's in 97 and myself and about five other folks started Scott's Lawn Service from the ground up with a few thousand customers and we grew it to 500,000. Yeah. It was then sold to True Green in 2017. Um, but that was an absolute roller coaster ride of fun because we were a lawn care startup inside of a $3 billion company. Um, and we had lots of money to do fun things and to learn fun things. And during that time, we were working with Real Green. I selected them to be our CRM provider. And I felt like we built that product. Like when I say we built it, like out in the field, on a truck, a technician, these are his pain points. And in the office, this is an issue. And regulatory compliance is talking about wind speed. So how do we build that in? And so I took that background and spent eight years at Real Green in business development, creating API partners, leading the sales team. And uh, it's been a roller coaster ride. And for the last year, I've been selling fertilizer at Advanced Turf Solutions. So I, I lead the turf and ornamental division. We uh, sell to golf courses. We sell to sports fields, two other loves of mine, sports and golf. And uh, then the good old lawn care folks are in the division I lead and having a blast kind of in a, a different area of the business. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, quite the repertoire there of just, you know, coming up and uh, something that you you said, and I think Will and I have kind of, uh, when we started Landscape Hub, uh, Lisa Fury asked us to read a book called The Lean Startup. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. And, and you, pretty much what you had said in there, a lot of these these bigger companies are technically starting, like doing startups within their own. And the, the what's coming out of them is, is crazy just to have that different mindset on business uh, is now allowing stuff to you know, progress so much quicker and have that different kind of feel than the traditional business set. So kudos for you for for living it and, and doing it, because uh, when, when we read it in the book, it, that stuck out to me like, oh, like these big billion dollar companies are like, yeah, we've got to start up internally and then and look what comes from it. So, well, I love what you all are doing. So at Real Green, which actually started when I was at Scott's, I really began to understand what it meant to harness the power of technology. Sure. Really change the face of this industry. And one of my favorite stories at Real Green, I was at one of our enterprise clients. They're almost $100 million now. And they'd had a few bumps and bruises. As you know, when you sell technology, it doesn't work 100% every day. We had a very good track record, but he was irritated, rightfully so, about something. And I'm walking through the warehouse in my real green shirt and a technician comes up to me and practically hugged me and said, oh my gosh, I just love your software and your mobile app. And he said to me, because of your software, I get to go to my kid's soccer game every day hmm. because it works, it does this well, and I can get things done so much more quickly. And of course, the business owner who was mad at me that day over something he's like and that's the reason why I won't fire you because those guys love you but yeah. to know that you are creating technology that allows technicians to do this fantastic job and make it to their kids soccer games like right we're parents we know how important that kind of thing is 
And I thought, I just want to be able to continue to do that. And I do that with product now at Advanced Turf. But uh, a good friend of mine is Pierre Bridger at Vibrant Outdoors. And yep, oh, I know you do. This is where the story turns around to Landscape Hub. So he and I are having lunch and he goes, I got to take this call. And um, he just kind of offhandedly says, I couldn't do my job without Landscape Hub. And I, I know Lisa well. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Tell me more. And he said, I've got this huge parks project in Columbus, Indiana, and they have to have these specific plants because the rest of the park has this. And he goes, it would take me three days to find these particular plants for that particular job without the help of help of Landscape Hub. He said it saves me headcounts. Mm -hmm. And it hearkened me back to those days where you're saying, wow, technology is pretty cool in the way it's changed the face of just the green industry, the little old green industry. Yeah, we're we're slow to uh the whole the whole change thing as an industry. I think we all know that, right? But I, I wanted to know too, like those exactly are, are like perfect examples of, you know, immediate uh, things that are already, you know, happening today with technology and how it's changing, changing lives and changing the way that we, you know, build our workforce too, you know, like, you know, labor shortages, all that kind of thing are a real concern for us and being able to be smarter with how we work, not working harder, if you will, but you know, leveraging technology to make changes within our business that are positive. So you just named a couple that are immediate. What are some other immediate differences that you see technology uh, making in our industry today? Well, just go to a coffee shop or your local bar with um, a decent sized turf and ornamental business owner and ask them what keeps them up at night. Just, just broadly within your business, what keeps you up at night? And then yeah. my mind immediately goes to how can technology solve this problem? Well, let's talk about staffing. You can't go to an industry event or a webinar without saying, yeah, demand is high, but I don't know how we're going to get enough people to do this job or turnover. Um, the target demographic for technicians are digital natives, right? So if you bring them in and hand them a clipboard and ask them to handwrite in cursive a note to the customer about what you found on the lawn, good luck with that. Not that they can't do it. On the other hand, if you provide them an app and just like the UPS guy or the Amazon dude, allow them to quickly go through and record that application, maybe a video or a photo and hit send and they're on to the next stop, where do you think that guy wants to work? Uh, the company I work for, Advanced Turf, we have a position at Steel Green Equipment. And if you've ever seen those badass pieces of write-on equipment, <laughs> we have one client yeah. who says, I like what it does. We get more stops done. The quality assurance is good. But he goes, I have technicians fighting over who gets to use the Steel Green that day. So you sure. think about technology with staffing and how can we solve the most important problem. Well, in the interview, you need to talk about the technology you use, the service delivery equipment that also, by the way, is pretty cool. Or maybe we're going to launch autonomous mowers. Uh, I had the opportunity to visit Mariani's business and um, the guys who get to, quote, remotely manage those autonomous mowers, they're fighting over one another uh, to work in that division. So there are so many new ways in which we can offer technology to those coming into the workforce. And I think it's a way that we can help retain labor. 
I think also capture new labor too, because you know, there's not a lot of folks coming into our industry. We sometimes we don't do a very good job of promoting the green industry and what it has to offer and how rewarding it is. But you you know you open up this new vein, which is technology, and all of a sudden you've got attention. And now you're bringing in new eyes, you're bringing in you know, maybe eyes from a different industry to help push the green industry to the next level. And that's something that we've seen over the past five years is, you know, you start to, I mean, well, how many people have we talked to just in our travels, because we're social butterflies, we're everywhere, where the, like, the green industry is now a second life to them. They started in something else, and it was all based on a link into technology. Like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to hop into the green industry because they need someone to manage this, or they need a ten, you know, someone in, in IT or, or whatever. There are a lot of second lives going on and it's kind of reinvigorating the green industry for the better. Yeah, they were on their way to do something else when they stopped by here just to mow lawns for beer money. Right. And now they've got a $12 million business. <laughs> That's uh, some significant beer money now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you're uh, graduating the top shelf liquor besides just having a beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, hey, you, you've mentioned uh, Real Green Systems a couple of times. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about that previous role and just the, sure. you know, in the importance behind what you provided the industry there? And um, yeah, I was kind, of, was kind of skipping ahead, but I'm following your lead here. So we'll just go where the questions take us. So that would make sense if you want to talk about that a bit. I will. So I would say the world was much different when we started using Real Green in 1997 um, until I left there in 2021. But at Scott's, we had 42 inbound call centers for lawn service, and we would take 20,000 inbound calls a day from customers. And we, we would meticulously tag the frequently asked questions. Um, so during that 16-year run, I would say the last five years, we had really good call accounting and call metrics, if you will, to know what are the FAQs. And how do we consistently answer those? Not surprisingly, and this is true today, those FAQs haven't changed all that much. Like, when are you coming? What are you going to do? What's my balance? But as you began to track the reasons why customers called you, or today, any inbound contact, it could be chat, email, online, it hasn't changed that much. But imagine if you own a turf and ornamental business, and now your CRM software also has a self-serve portal. So they can go right there and say, oh, they're scheduled again in four more weeks. They're going to do the grub control. This is what I need to do in advance. This is my balance. Here's an upsell opportunity that I may have overlooked. The ability to self-serve really emerged during that time. And, and others in the, the CRM space are getting there as well. But not only do you put yourself in the shoes of the technician who is so important but also in the consumer. So how are consumers interacting with other brands and other verticals? Do they really want to have to call you? Because I, I still talk to turf and ornamental businesses who say, we're not going to participate in social media because I don't want anyone complaining about our brand. Yeah. Um, or we're not going to take emails because they might just email us that they want to cancel. And we want to have to talk to them. No, that's old school thinking, guys. And if you're not harnessing the power of technology, your competitor is going to do that. So I think we did a really good job at looking through the lens of a technician. Um, even though he might not be the decision maker, he's certainly the influencer. Yeah. 
yeah. in that scenario. And right now his stock is very, very high. His or her stock is very, very high. And then also through the lens of a, the consumer, what are they expecting to get out of the experience? Every single year, I become a True Green customer. You go to truegreen.com. If you guys haven't done it in a long time, you have to go do it. Why? Because they spend more money than anyone else in chemical turf care, understanding how consumers interact with lawn care. And even though they have a uh, arguably high churn rate, when a True Green customer comes to Lawn Pride in Indianapolis, they have an expectation about how I can pay my bill online, how I can request service. And those that win are going to get on board with that. And it's not like it was 20 years ago, as you all know, not only is technology affordable, but you can't afford not to participate. I love what oh. you're saying. Breath of fresh air. Oh, that's <laughs> a great way to end the week. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to write down the time on that and then just keep it on loop. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, that's something that we, uh, we preach from the mountaintops here at Landscape Hub. You know, it's, uh, yeah, either get on the bus or, or don't, uh, I mean, it's going to, you're going to get left behind. You're not going to school. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those real things. And I, I think you know, a lot of people are facing that crossroad of which, which way do I head with my business? And, you know, it's very obvious that um, technology is one of the things that people really need to dig into. So if you're smart and you're forward thinking and you're looking towards change, and I think that's the way to go, you know, so. Well, and I would say this was true at Real Green. Um, at least up until the time I left, and this was on me, and and maybe at Landscape Hub, I don't know that we always did the best job of conveying the value proposition or the return on investment. They would look at the quote and say, this is how much it's going to cost us. But that lunch conversation I had with Pierre when he said, this is three full-time headcounts tracking down a sycamore tree that I yeah. can get to Columbus Indiana, and maybe you guys do a great job of that, but um, just the amount of time you save and the expectations of what consumers expect from a front-facing perspective, you can't afford not to participate in this game. Yeah, it's becoming a bit more readily available too. Like I, I don't want to seem like, you know, it's it's all like doom and gloom. I, I went to the nursery management conference and they they're all now talking about technology and it's great. And, and it, it's, it's the, the big question is how do I incorporate it into my business? That's the big thing. How, how does this work now? I'm stepping into the new era. How do I incorporate this? Do I look at doing like something of my own? Do I like, you know, the one, a couple of the top five things they said, uh, you know, with staying engaged, you know, is, you know, text emails, one of them on there was podcasts, look what we're doing now. And, and it's a lot of these, you know, a lot of the growers who were maybe traditionally old school and old school mindset are now trying to transition into online and it's hard. And that's where like, you know, Will and I, we uh, you know kind of help guide these people through. This is how it works. Educating. This is a great step into it. Yes. Uh, so like, you know, it's, it, it's cool to see it. Uh, you know, we wish it happened a bit, a bit quicker, but it's at least it's happening. So. Well, and think about the solution that Landscape Hub provides and how much even this has changed in 18 months or so. Proximity of hard goods, right? So this isn't software necessarily. You know, I can sell you a license. It doesn't matter if you're in the UK, but if I am a proprietor that needs hard goods, I better be really smart about where I'm getting them from with freight, with um, all of the supply chain issues. Now I rely on that technology. It's not just a nice to have anymore. 
I'm reliant upon it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well we've definitely bridged the gap and created connectivity. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that we strive for at Landscape Hub. I wanted, I wanted to go back to something that you, uh, you had mentioned too, just about, uh, about Real Green, the way that they um, looked at their business. They looked at the frontline consumer, and then they also looked at the frontline employee um, and what the interaction was there and how they were both experiencing the business. I think that is an incredibly smart direction mm -hmm. to take things. You know, it's, um, I don't know. Again, and you're like what we were just talking about, it's about us being responsible to educate people about technology, but then it's also internally and externally both, right? So it's like you're you're you gotta teach your customer how to use it. <laughs> and then also you have to teach your internal folks how to how to use it as well. But it's like, I, I don't know, I like that a lot, just like you know, that approach. And it, it encourages me to, you know, think about that aspect when we think about growing landscape hub. You know, well, think about, you know, none of neither the consumer nor the technician is ever at a demo, right? Unless it's a big right. enterprise um, situation where you might involve technicians, but arguably the two most important facets, they will invite uh, the chief finance officer, your accounting team, your customer service team, sales, because they are all stakeholders in this. But at the end of the day, it's about retention and who's going to pay you to do the work. Yep. And those technicians who we are just uh you know, tripping over one another to retain in the field. So if you can make them happy and they stay in the job and your customers love the experience, to me, that is often overlooked in the technology world. Mm -hmm. No, it is. You have the preconception of what it should be and how it should work in your own mind. And you said, this guy over here is like, I like this. And you're like, yeah, hey, yeah, shut up. No, we're going to build yeah. it this way. Yeah. Like, no, it's like, no, you got you to listen. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been like, Will, you and I have been doing this you now for five years. That's the biggest thing of, is marrying that all together in a good, happy balance. And, you know, sometimes other sides are a lot stronger than the other, but that's okay. Like, you, Beth, you lived it. You understand how it goes. So it, it's nice you know, to be able to, to talk to you about that of, you know, finding the balance on both sides. Because, you know, sometimes tech is right and you don't want to admit it. And sometimes it's the other way around. It's like, all right, how do we, how do we, find the balance here because they're seven steps ahead of you thinking about the problem because if they build it to just one solution now and you got to change it later no one's happy because that's just wasted time so it is a lot especially in a fast-paced industry like the green i mean it's just moving so quick moving so quick i need this i need this i need this so it's uh it's nice to hear said your, your your perspective it's awesome and i think even like what we're talking now even about technology i think can be applied into just every day-to-day -day business and how you think about it how you go about it um, and I like a lot of our listeners, you know, anytime we're out and about people asking like, Hey, like what you were saying is great. Like I basically took a look at my business and how I should be doing things. And it's nice to hear that I'm not alone in that. And like, how do I change it? How do I make it better? How do I evolve with the current trends and how do I stay relevant? Um, well, so I, I love Steve jobs and I, I know more about Steve jobs than the average person. I grew up in a home where in 1979, we had a mainframe computer and my father ran his business on it. And I, how wow. I would now, I would have been more hands-on, but Steve Jobs said in around 2007, our job is to get technology in the hands of people that can use it more quickly than our competitors. So it had to be intuitive. And so that was a mantra there, not just what the features did, but you could deliver this amazing solution, but if they can't really figure it out, you're not going to get 
the retention on it. And I think that that's true for our industry because many, even though they might be digital natives, when you get into this higher level, level skill set or feature set, you're dependent upon your customer understanding how all that technology works. And so it yeah. needs to be reliable and intuitive. And easy too, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to make it ridiculously easy. Um, yeah. Well, that, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I love like just the different, different layers of, of, uh, of your career. And it's, you know, um, you know, it's very evident, you know, you've been involved in a lot of leadership roles. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to ask you too, this is more of a, you know, on a personal level, like, was there, you know, an, any outside influence you'd have a significant mentor or maybe like an aha moment in your career to kind of push you even harder towards success? And then specifically, like what led you towards leadership? Uh, one person in particular, his name's Chuck Boyles, and he was our regional manager at Chemwan. And I had been selected to uh, travel to Columbus, Ohio and participate in a collections accounts receivable seminar because in Indianapolis, we had terrific results. And I was really nervous. And I said, Chuck, I'm just kind of embarrassed. I don't know what to wear. And he said, kiddo, when you get 50 miles from home, you can be anything you want. And I was like, huh, I, I don't get what that means. But it's that imposter syndrome of, I don't think I'm that good. And he would say, no, look at the results. You you really are, you know, you've contributed this much. And so he, he probably gave me the confidence early on. And then when I got to Scott's, it's a big $3 billion company. And it was very much about asking for a seat at the table. You weren't, no one was gonna come to you and, and offer that and certainly, they gave more women opportunities, I would say, than some companies did, but you had to ask for that opportunity. And then when you had your hand in the air and you were selected, you better be well prepared and better prepared than some of your male peers. And that's just the way it was. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Very cool. And what, what to you are, are like the solid makeups of a, you know, a genuine leader in business? I think candor most uh, that comes to mind, probably top of mind, because if you've worked for those guys who are talking heads, who, especially if you're at a publicly traded company and you read yeah. last quarter's results, you know what the shareholders want to say yeah. and everything that comes out of their mouth supports that as opposed to, you know, I was riding on a truck last week and here's our biggest problem with customer service or Technicians are leaving us in droves because actually we're forcing them to work six days a week. Mm -hmm. Being able to have really difficult conversations is what has always moved the dial for me yeah. more than anything else and um, doesn't always make you the most popular person, but you gain trust that way when you're willing to show up and say, no, actually, that's not what's going on. And this is a factor. It's very cool. It's very hands on. I. Uh... My father-in-law was very, very similar in his business. Uh, you know, there's how many countless times that he would be, you know, they were in warehousing and trucking and uh, he would consistently, you'd, you could find him in the warehouse, helping to load a truck or he'd be on a forklift or, you know, whatever. It just created a lot of um, a different respect factor amongst your workforce. 
And uh, yeah, I definitely admire leaders like that. So what I'm in a roundabout way, I'm, I'm telling you, I admire what you, what you do there. Oh, <laughs> that's very nice. I've read so many hundreds of leadership books and what I'm not good at is recalling the, uh, how to attribute this, but there's, it's called managed by walking around. Maybe it's Jim Collins, but it's, you don't learn that much in an ivory tower, but you learn a lot through the voice of the customer. And that's listening to thousands of phone calls talking to those that um, are out on the front line solving it. When I was at Scott's, we did a an engagement with Disney service. And if you ever have the opportunity to participate in any of their professional services, it was amazing. But along those same lines, all of the restaurants at Epcot are owned separately. So you might think, oh, it's Disney parks. No, yeah. they all have individual proprietors, separate P&Ls. And they have a program that's called All Ears. So in the United Kingdom, where they have fish and chips and badass beer, we always stop and get a Guinness. I spend a lot of time at Epcot with my adult children. We had a proprietor speak to us at this event. And he said, we were trying to find ways to make the UK restaurant more profitable. And this was a deep dive with the busboy, okay? not the store manager, it was the busboy. And and so they're saying, what are ways, what do customers say to you um, that they're unhappy about? And the busboy's like, oh, I don't really talk to him. He's the busboy because he didn't want to interact. And they go, well, anything you can think of that would make the business more profitable? And he goes, well, when I clean up the tables, you know, you do hear people talking about Disney food being expensive and nobody eats the coleslaw. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I throw it away. When I pick up the dishes, I throw away all the coleslaw. And the manager's like, our coleslaw is amazing. What do you mean? He goes, no, no, the customers really don't like it. And I know because I'm throwing it away. So like, this is the bus, the bus boy driving what's going to be served at Disney next. And then uh, they had the, uh, not receptionist, what do you call the hostess? Uh, they were talking to her and they said, you know, what do you hear? Is it that people can't get a reservation? They had this idea of what they were going to find out from the hostess. And she said, no, you know, the reservation system works well. People don't have to wait. She said, but we could sell more fish and chips if young families like Will didn't have to drag a double stroller to the bar because that's where they had the carryout. So you guys want fish and chips, but you're not taking your two toddlers into the bar with me and my raucous adult children. You just want fish and chips. You don't want the pub experience. And so now they have a unique kiosk that only sells fish and chips right out in front. And that's specifically because a hostess said, all these families want to buy our food, but they don't want to drag their kids into the bar. So as close as you can get to the folks on the front line, you're going to mine data that will change your business. That's, very That's cool. huge. That's yeah. huge. It's a cool perspective. That's smart. You know, and it's an unintended voice of the customer, right? You're picking that up. Who knew that the busboy was going to give you information that you needed to change a side dish you can still charge $16 for fish and chips, but you, that coleslaw sucks and he knows it because he throws it away. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty evident too, just anything that's involved with Disney. Like they, I feel like they uh, they really take a, a deep like dive into everything and everything is like a science to, you know, like figuring out what works and what doesn't, even down to like 
that we were listening and paying attention to like the decibel level of, of like, you know, the noise that you hear around you. It was very interesting. Like you couldn't even hear the people talking next to you. And I'm sure that that has something to do with it too. You know, it's just like, anyways, just a, just a small thing that, that I observed, but, you know, being a smart leader, you're going to take a look at those kind of things and then also take heed and make changes in your business to move yourself forward. Right. It's very cool. So I, I think also leaders that, um, you know, not only listen to their frontline employees and dig in there, but they're also just well connected in general, you know, just, to, you know, well connected to their industry, their peers, um, all that. So I know that where I met you, Beth, was uh, Leaders Forum, uh, NALP in Cabo is where, uh, you know, it was a rough place to hang out. Let me tell you. Um, it sucked. I hated it, that trip. How, can, how am I not invited on these trips? Like, I mean, come on. Like, who do I got to talk to? You just talk to Lisa. She'll get you in there. <laughs> Actually, I, we may have even met in the pool with a drink in our hand. I've not to make the first yeah. for you, Joe, but. Oh. All well, right. I'm going to have some serious talks after this podcast. So. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about specifically your involvement with NALP and, uh, you know, what keeps you connected with that group and how has that been significant for your career? The most successful folks I know in this industry are part of three facets of organizations. Um, a franchise group. The franchise groups are well-connected in our industry. All of them do a fantastic job <clears throat> and they've got built-in peers and folks to rely on uh, when they're in a quandary. The peer groups, and there's some significantly large peer groups that uh, I appreciate being invited to some of their events. So now you can phone a friend if, with a like-sized company in uh, San Antonio, and I happen to be in Allentown, Pennsylvania, to solve a problem. And then those that are involved with NALP. And as the leaders of the green industry, it's been really fun to watch the organization evolve over the years. We now have Women in Landscape Network that Jim yeah. Myers leads, and that is just a badass uh, piece of the organization. I've participated as the membership chair in the past, bringing new folks into the organization, but awesome. you almost, you must be connected to not only NALP, but your state associations, because so much of the sustainability and viability of our industry is becoming increasingly reliant on folks like that. So whether it's regulatory com compliance, governmental issues, training, new opportunities to grow your business, the events that um, we all get to participate in really do move the industry forward. That's awesome. I I've had a very similar experience and just some of the people that you do get to meet are some of the best of the best in the industry. You know, at least some people to like cheer you on and, and folks you can talk to and really relate um, with them about your you know current state of your business and finding out different ways to grow. You know, I'm always encouraged when I have really healthy relationships with your peers about, you know, I feel like no one is afraid to tell you some of their secret sauce, you know, like, mm -hmm. hey, here's here's how I've been successful and you can, you know, you can replicate it, do what you want with it. I want you to be successful too. So, you know, we talk about this a lot on From the Field, like we were straight up some of the, the best people I and mean, we love our industry or the straight up salt of the earth, you know? So let me give you one very tangible example of this. Uh, right after you and I had a good time at a leaders forum and COVID kicked in the state of Michigan. So I was at real green, 10% of our customer base 
had businesses in Michigan. And guess what? Michigan was not essential. The governor of Michigan decided, nope, um, and actually said this on TV, but uh, landscape, landscapers are spreading germs at the gas pump. So that, that was the quote, and we were shut down. And even though some places were shut down for a short period of time, most astute legislative bodies understood that there was a risk to public health if mowers weren't running, if mosquitoes were rampant. Uh, MGIA, Michigan's Green Industry Association, had calls from emergency room doctors who would say, can you guys get me someone to mow my grass? Because I'm not going to make it to work today. I, I can't get out of my driveway. Nursing homes couldn't, those folks couldn't go outside because there was no mosquito control. So um, in very, very short order, and when I say in short order, through the help of NALP, MGIA, True Green, um, which, by the way, they are always first to help. Not only do they have a vested interest, obviously, they have a big um, customer base in Michigan, but just as an industry ally. I would say Joe Cusick, Jerry Grossi, um, some folks from MGIA, NALP, within about three days had an initiative put together, working with Fox and Friends National, um, had attorneys hired, had lobbyists hired, and we were back out on the street in a week. Now that had gone on for a while, but once, once a few of us said, who are our industry friends and alliances? If Joe Cusick and I hadn't been well-connected in the industry for many, many years, we wouldn't have had the Rolodex to say, hey, I need your help with this today. So, you know, that was a real significant risk. Some of those businesses were never going to rebound in 2020 if they didn't get back to work like yeah. right away. And so uh, you, you don't repair the roof when it's raining. You build these relationships. You understand who to call when you're in a situation like that. And unlike other uh, service industries that I've worked with, no one is more giving than the green industry. They're glad to clear their schedule and help you. I agree. <laughs> You've said it a couple of times. That, it, that makes you guys some badasses. Just saying. Like, well, uh, I, yeah. trust me. I just had the Rolodex. I did none of the heavy lifting. I called all the right people. That's that's amazing. That's what being connected is all about, right? And relationships and everything. It that's, is. That's amazing. Um. So, tell me about this. So I'm gonna. So you guys, you have a podcast that you also do, right? It's uh, called Ahead of the Curb. Is that with NALP or is that, tell me how that works. Tell us about that. That is Turfs Up Radio. And if you uh, have okay, the app, I expect you to download the app immediately. <laughs> All right. So Aaron Gruner uh, is a, an industry friend who has started Turfs Up Radio. So it's a series of podcasts. It's live every day um, with recorded content. But Darren has really brought together some remarkable talent and it allows me an opportunity to talk with folks like you, because now you got to be on my show. This is reciprocal, right? All right. But I uh, I accepted the gig when I was still at Real Green. So ahead of the curb was to bring forward innovations and in technology. And then I, I shifted to advanced turf solutions. And we do the same thing with a lot of products, technology, service equipment, like I mentioned uh we have an equity stake in foliar pack products, which are the most remarkable nutritional products you can use in lawn care and steel green. And everybody knows who steel green army is because we're badasses. <laughs> so I talk to folks like yourself. I like, yeah. I, of course, I love technology, but I love reaching out to 
uh, small, medium, and large business owners just to say, what kept you awake last spring? What are you going to do to solve it this year? Supply yeah. chain issues, you know, that's like, nobody wants to talk about it anymore. But uh, if you're not ahead of the curb, so to speak, and really harnessing the power of technology or buying power or innovations there, 2023 is going to be a bumpy road for some folks if they're not already on top of that. Yeah, I I agree. I, I was, uh, you know, we'll say, well, let's stay on that same, that same topic. Um, you know, just the future of our industry, if you will. Wanted Landscape just put out their, their recent state of the industry with the title was Burdens to Bear. And, you know, the, the small, you know, like line underneath was companies are faced with, you know, long lasting issues, including labor, um, a lot of other new concerns, and then, you know, an uncertain economic future. And they interviewed a number of different business owners throughout the article. And I, I found it pretty eye opening as far as um, just seeing what most people are have their eyes on that sort of thing. Did you happen to read that or like, what are some of your I thoughts? Did. I did. And I, it hearkened me back to 2008 because I'm old and I was in the industry then, yeah. but um, there are a few key components or learnings I would say over the years that are going to be very important in the next couple of years. One is that you think about what the consumer will not give up. So what we found they would not give up, and, and let's hope this demand continues. We've seen demand soften a little bit this year. It certainly hasn't been a total collapse, but let's say uh, larger price items and in, in chemical turf care, like maybe aeration and overseeding, those have scaled back a bit. Mm -hmm. They will not allow mosquitoes or pests. Are you going to allow your girls to get mosquito bites, Will? You will not do that. You may, let's say you've got uh, eight chemical turf care treatments. Maybe you're willing to go to a budget program on that of six, but I want that guy to be sure I don't, that I have flea and tick control and that my family's protected against pests. So if you're in the green industry, I highly recommend if needed, the additional licensing for perimeter and exterior pest control, because they're going to buy that from somewhere. It's more recession proof. I highly recommend budget programs for those who bought an expensive house last year, don't want to get kicked out of the neighborhood, but maybe they can't manage your full program. I also think an important trend is how many how many services can one technician deliver? Whether that's additional equipment, whether that's additional licensing, um, find ways to optimize and make each of those stops more efficient so that you know there's more margin for you. And then this is the silver bullet of today. You guys yeah. need to play this time and again, right? Yeah. I be firmly believe that the membership economy, subscription services spreading whatever it is in a seasonal business, if it's six treatments, eight treatments, a design build over the course of 12 uh, monthly installments that renew themselves every year, that's the ticket to one, retention. We've known that for a long time. Brad Leahy at Blades of Green has blazed a trail in this area. Yeah. Customers retain higher. They will add more services and at no additional interest cost, now they have better budgeting. And so that's going to help sustain the industry. How do you, like, you know, as a business owner, like I got a, like a, a bunch of friends that are, you know, landscape contractors. How do you, and you can give it as a high level view. How do you factor that in? How do you, where do you even start with that? Because that's a lot of guys, you know, they'll sit down and look at paper and go, how? How, like, you know, I, I have these costs I have to pay within 30 days, 60 days. Like how, 
What's a good starting point for someone listening to, you know, possibly maybe go down that road? Well, back when we were churning butter, Joe, um, at Kimlon, we would offer prepayment, right? And we were a seasonal business and we weren't uh, providing any services over the winter. And we would have never even thought about laying off technicians back then. So prepay was a way even for a company the size of Kemlon to sustain the off season. But when you send out a prepay letter, many of them are hitting the mailboxes today. You are asking that customer to make a seasonal decision. Mm-hmm. And so um, from a, a cash balancing perspective, knowing what and forecasting what your, your expenses are going to be for next year and what your income is going to be and offering your customers the opportunity to pay you every month on the 1st or the 15th now significantly flattens your cash flow and allows you to budget appropriately. And so I've seen it work 100% of the time when you implement this and you now have a predictable cash flow. So you know when it's gonna be coming in and um, it works far better than the traditional prepay that we've offered in chemical turf care. It's hmm. a good starting point. And by the way, you have to have technology that supports that, because if you're going to try to do that manually, it's not going to be worth your while. So what does that look like? Just curious. That looks like the major CRMs, including Real Green. And um, I I never played defense. I don't actually know what their competitors do, Uh, but I know Real Green was a leader and probably first to market with allowing the installment billing or budget billing. And so then it's set it and forget it. And your customers can change it. And it just happens every month. You know, Lifetime Fitness does not call me and say, Beth, you haven't been here in three months. Are you sure you yeah, no, keep taking months? your money? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I got a question for you, Beth. That's come up a lot too, especially in some of my travels. Um, you know, every everything's up. Costs are up across the board. How? What's uh, and you know, in, in your you know, in your previous lives and everything. What's the best way to start to tackle some of those price increase conversations? Uh, with you know with with your folks and then their end user what what ammunition uh, you know or a good starting point for people to talk about hey it's going to cost a lot more I'm paying my guys more you know costs across the board are up you know in every single sector of the green industry nursery greenhouse landscape contracting the whole nine the costs are up just regardless because of all the supply chain issues where you know how what have you you know learned in your previous years as a great kind of segue into, hey, this is why this is costing this much, and this is why you still need to pay for that increased cost. So another silver bullet. Thank you for serving up the easy questions to me. (laughs) Sure. You find opportunities in your business to optimize profits, such as monthly billing, Mm -hmm. such as, you know, in chemical turf care, we've had this two-day free service call policy since the beginning of time. Maybe you can't afford to run all over Chicago every two days. Mm -hmm. So when you begin to implement changes to your customer base that optimize your profits, you start every communication with as a small business owner. Now, if True Green's listening today, and they probably are, Will, because, you know, they want to listen to everything I say. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Then you're not a small business owner. But the rest of us are really small business owners and consumers want to know that as a small business owner, we're asking you to keep a credit card on file. As a small business owner, um, we will now charge you monthly. 
as a small business owner, we now only go to Schomburg for free service calls on Tuesday and Saturday. So find ways to optimize profit and always tell your customer why you're doing it. We are always looking for ways to control cost. And as a small business owner, that phrase will take you a very long way. Perfect. That's awesome. I hope everyone listening is taking notes on that. So yeah, they should be feverishly taking notes. Feverish, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, awesome. Thank you, Beth. Well, I guess, you know, there's only been so many of us that have been churning the butter, if you will. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of up and comers that are coming into our industry too. Um, they're they're going to be the, the future. And, you know, it seems like in some sort of ways, it, it's, it does feel uncertain, but I think this industry will find a way. There will be folks that will come into it and young, young professionals that will get into our industry. And it's really up to us to pass the torch in a proper way, you know. Um, what would be some of the advice that you might give to any up-and-coming entrepreneurs or, or folks that have leadership burning in their heart and uh, they want to get into the green industry? What, what advice would you give them? I would tell them to raise their hand and volunteer, offer at starting at the state level, because as Tip O'Neill said, all politics are local. Um, the sustainability of the industry is reliant upon the young entrepreneurs to get involved in politics, not just from a regulatory compliance perspective, but I spoke with Richard Lair today. He's a, an employment attorney for small business and the green industry. And he spoke of the importance of developing relationships with your local legislators, right? Because now when you're gonna implement a new overtime law or who can be a contractor, they know who you are. And so getting involved locally with politics and the association and then attending every single event you can find, and there's honestly not that many of them, uh, but NALP I think provides so many affordable opportunities yep. for the Trailblazer program. Those are young entrepreneurs just starting out and when you show up to NALP events and you speak to those guys who have 50, $100 million companies and you ask what helped them the most, they'll say, I was at a Planet event in 1976 and I met this guy in Boston and he was launching at the same time. We yep. grew up together and we shared those best practices. And so um, even though it is a significant investment, right? To leave your business, to travel to these events, to spend the money, I don't know anyone that hasn't found the return on investment. I, I couldn't agree more. That's probably one of the first and foremost the organizations that I would suggest anyone to get involved with. Again, it's like, you know, it's the small, medium and large guys that are all there. It's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the CEOs, it's the owners, it's the, you know, again, it's like just to be able to sit down, you can end up sitting next to them and have a conversation and, and just to, and they're all open to talk to you about anything, you know? So um, I've always felt super welcome within the NALP and it's one of my favorite organizations and you really do learn what's, you know, what's important, you know, what's especially even like the political part of it that you just, you know, mentioned to be involved in that piece of it. it makes me think of Andrew Bray, like that guy's uh, an amazing guy. Um, mm -hmm. I wish I had uh, all of his energy, but... <laughs> Um, but anyway, it's like, yeah, so that's all great stuff. I mean, Beth, today you've given us a lot of, uh, um, 
really good conversation, some good, like solid takeaways. And uh, so now that you're not, you know, afraid to put your face out there, uh, where, where can, where can folks find you? Um, I publish to... my cell phone number at truck stops and on my, on our website. Not really. Uh, but I, I love it when people are like, they're like, you really tell people your cell phone number? Yeah, because I love it when people call me. 317-861-8888. Call or text. No one in this industry has ever abused that. My email is bberry at advancedturf.com. And every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on Turf's Up Radio, cool. come come hear what I have to say on Ahead of the Curb, and you guys are going to be there. Cool. Well. Well, we were we were super blessed to have you on today. We, like you said, we really enjoyed the conversation. Joe and I look look forward to uh, joining you on. Uh, on that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Whenever we're uh, we're not available all the time, but we, you know we're busy guys. But yes, just, yes. Yeah. Anyways, we would love to do that. Um, and again, like I said, we really appreciate it. Joe, did you have anything else you wanted to, to ask Beth before we kind of wrap up for today? Um, uh, yeah, I'm actually just maybe uh, Beth, very high level on um, on on ATS too. I mean, I mean, I know that's you know we we'd like to always help whoever is on the podcast with their businesses and stuff. You know, maybe just quick high level what you do. Um, I said we were definitely at Landscape Hub, and oh man, wow, wait, talking way too quick. Us at Landscape Hub are very interested in working with you on the hard goods side. Um, I said a lot of our folks that we help today are landscape contractors. Just, you know, cliff notes on ATS and how, you know, they, they can help landscape contractors. I consider myself a really good salesperson, but I was wrong because when I showed up at Advanced Turf, I really began to understand what great salespeople are and we're consultants. And uh, I, yeah. by being a consultant, that means when you're buying products and equipment from us, we'll go out to your customer's customer's lawn to identify why this herbicide isn't working. So I work with the absolute best consultants in the green industry. And we have 33 locations, including Valley Green in New England. Um, and so we sell turf and ornamental goods, everything you need to run a chemical turf care company, uh, as well as steel green equipment and foliar pack products. So we would love to, to help in any way we can and excited to hear more about maybe some opportunities to integrate with Landscape Hub. Awesome. Uh, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking outside at all the the white stuff on the ground. I think you guys also deal in salt too. Ice melt. We are big ice melt right now. My phone is ringing while we've been talking, and I know it's ice melt issues. So, yeah. I'm bummed here in central Indiana. I try to chase uh, summer. I'm going back to Orlando here shortly because <laughs> I just try to avoid it. Understood. I I do the same thing. I try to hide from it, but it seems to find me everywhere I go, especially I when I stay in Chicago. <laughs> Yeah. Well, awesome. Joe, anything else, bud? I think that that should do it. Oh, this, is, this has been great. This is awesome. I said, you know, Will, as we, you know, and Beth, we're excited to do your podcast. We learned, we've been on a couple others and just how to make our own better. And I said, I think the main thing is this talking about it and something else that's popped up too. That's something very simple that we kind of take for granted. It's just the ability to listen, listen, what people need, you know, don't just blah, 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 puke on them with everything you got. It's more or less listen. Cause people in this industry are very open, open and willing to tell you even like a pain point and every, anything that they have. So um, that kind of was a common theme. I kept writing that just listening and, and the mentorship. Um, Beth, you've been great. This is fun. I, I, I love doing these. These are awesome. Well, so we'll have to do it again. I didn't get through yeah. all my questions to you guys. So thank you. It was just a treat to be invited today. And I love what you guys are doing. Thank cool. you. Hey. Thank you, Beth.
Yeah. Anything we can do to support you too, we know we're there. So yeah. don't say it unless you mean it, because I'll reach out to you. Oh, we definitely mean it. <laughs> yeah, you right. we mean it. Well, thanks again for, for joining us. And uh, again, it's Beth Berry, a badass in the industry. Badass. Uh, badass for sure. We were, uh, we were blessed to have you today. And thanks for joining us. I'm from the field. Tune in, uh, tune in next time.